My name, my name is John Williams. I've got first degree murder, two life sentences. Michael Anthony Wilson, uh, natural life sentence, and my charge is robbery with a firearm. My name is Brandon, 18 months, grand theft. Chris Russo, first degree murder, life sentence. Sean Wilson, 16 years, escape. Hi, my name is Daniel Fuchin. Uh, I'm in here for attempted murder, uh, 40 years. Lyle, two years, sales. Shane Raphael, life, triple murder, plus 297 years. Norman Williams, I'm ended up with a 30-year sentence. I got four and a half months left. By the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I am a new man. Having you guys come in and perform, lead us in worship, witness to us, give us books, and the fact that you guys are treating us like humans was isn't always the case with the guards or with different employees of the institution. It's really the difference between between like life and death sometimes emotionally because of the isolation feeling, you know. I tell people I'm a preacher that just happens to play guitar and, and make music. Um, I just love to see God connect with people. A lot of folks that are in prison, outlaw mindsets are very distrustful of people in my experience. And so it takes time to build that trust. It takes the Holy Spirit working on people to break down the distrust um, so that they can really open up and know that we are truly there because we care about them, because people outside of prison care about them and finance our ventures, all in an effort to simply do what Jesus said to do, visit those in prison care about those those that we call the margins of society I think Jesus says it should be the center of our attention Good morning. You guys don't have holiday hangover, do you? I do. Between Virginia Beach and Richmond and Charlotte, everybody didn't come to our house this year. We were like a ping pong ball going all over the place. And so I commend you for being here, and I commend all the volunteers that showed up to put on worship and lights and all that. It's not easy, is it, Trevor, to get people to this, that aren't out of town and whatnot? Well, let me just say this about that video. Uh, Norman Williams, for example, uh, the guy that said, by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, I am a new man. Uh, he spent uh, altogether 30 years in prison. They had let him out when he had done about 25 years in prison. And uh, they, he didn't have any family member that would take him. He didn't have anywhere to go. So the state of Florida put an ankle bracelet on him, gave him a tent, and dropped him into a patch of woods that the state owned and said, this is your home except when you're going to look for a job. You're under house arrest, and this is your house, a tent in the woods. And so he eventually cut the bracelet off and uh, made a run for it. I can understand why almost. Career criminal, okay, never had received Christ. They picked him back up. He was back in prison when we did that event just a few years ago is, is when that's from. And Norman received Christ at one of our events. We, you know, we bring in dozens of volunteers to, with us to put on a full-fledged what we get every Sunday, try to. 
And uh, Norman gave his life to Christ, and the chaplain said that after we left, Norman had like three or four months left in prison. That guy brought more people to chapel than anybody had ever seen. That He was on fire for the Lord, and uh, praise God, the new creation showed evidence of it. He got out, and within a couple of months of getting out, some man that was drunk attacked him from behind in a trailer park and sent him home to be with the Lord. So thank God that Clover Hill sent us to Northwest Florida Reception Center in Chipley, Florida to reach Norman. Amen? I know uh, I don't want to get on the bandwagon here, but don't ever walk up to me and say, do you think what you do really does any good? You are despising the power of the seed of the gospel when you say that. Of course it does. Do you think it was any good that Jesus died on the cross knowing that narrow is the way that leads to righteousness? that most people are going to reject him, but he did it anyway. So I want to say thank you. You've sent us, we put on about 30-some programs uh, last year, I think 31 actually, uh, all over the country taking full bands in, and we rock the house and have a good whole jailhouse rock thing uh, and build a bridge uh, in an effort to reach those. You know, sometimes the difference of, of who, you, who you are and who you need to be is what you know and what you don't know. And, uh, and so... God uses us sometimes to turn on the lights and, and people uh, see Jesus and receive him. Uh, we, you also send us, some of those videos were of, uh, or in that video, you saw me playing guitar on a stage. That was at the Sturgis Motorcycle Rally. We, probably about 70 or 80% of what we do is in prisons. But we also do biker rallies. I'll go anywhere I can play my guitar and maybe talk to people about Jesus. And so what we do when we go to Sturgis, we've been doing that since 2011. We go to Sturgis, Daytona Bike Rally, and, uh, and we, we play music. We work with another ministry. We don't preach from the stage. We have Christian biker clubs that we work with that talk to people while we play. But we give out these bike blessing CDs that you help us to create and make. They have our recorded music on them, but there's also a prayer for the bikers on here. And this one actually has a 30-minute sermon on here at the end of it. And, you know, I greet them when they turn it on. Then there's 10 songs, and then there's a message and whatnot. And so, you know what? When we go to those biker rallies, we see tracks on the ground. We see tracks in the trash where other people give them out. We have never, in all the time we've been doing it, seen one of these on the ground or in the trash. We've watched some of the one percenter uh, biker clubs. I won't mention any of your names, but you know some of the famous outlaw gangs or whatnot, clubs, uh, take these things and stick them in their vest pocket. Matter of fact, there's one outlaw club that uh, takes a case of CDs back to their camp every year uh, because we don't go in there just to beat them on the head with the Bible and scream about Jesus. We're there because we really care about them, and uh, you send us to be there. So uh, we also, that last year, were able to do our very first um, multi-day event in Virginia. Now, that's, that's when I'm hoping this year, for those that do follow us, we, we, haven't re- we brought a few people from Clover Hill on missions trips with us. Um, but the reason that we haven't brought too many people to Virginia prisons is because they're usually like a two-hour, three-hour event. But when we can do a multi-day event where we have five or six sessions when we're with the guys, we can bring in multiple types of music, testimonies, we do communion, we do water baptism, we have altar prayer times. And so stay tuned. Virginia, let us do it for the first time this uh, past year, and we're praying to God that we're going to be able to do a lot more of that. Um, So if you don't follow us on Facebook, you have my permission to take your phone out. You can go to lifeontheverge.com right now or thevergereport.com, and you can sign up and get a free book and, uh, and follow us. It means a lot if you just didn't to know. You know, my wife and I, uh, we, we work with a lot of different people, but we spend a lot of time on the road in an RV by ourselves, breaking down on the side of the road. And I'm not crying the blues, but it's nice to know that there's people thinking about us. 
Uh, we do use music as a big part of what we do. Uh, I was just talking to Trevor this morning. I think he was 14 years old when he auditioned for the worship team that I was leading under Pastor Stan Grant. And so music has always been at the core of what we do. It's a great tool. It's what's in our hand to communicate with people. So we have a couple of CDs. My wife will be back there after the service. This one's called Allergic to Blue. If you like that song that was playing, if you tapped your foot to it, that's on this CD. And, uh, and then we've got a brand new CD coming out um, probably in February, and we have some burned copies out there that uh, if you'll make a donation, we'll send you the real copy when it's printed and done, but we'll give you one now. And so, and then there's one last thing back there I want to let you know about. You know, there's a lot of talk these days about immigration. Got a donor that we met. We didn't know he's going to be a donor, but he is. He's a rancher way out in uh, Wyoming. No, he's in South Dakota. And uh, we were out in Sturgis, and because we broke down, we met this man, and he turned out to be a believer. And what an immigration story of, I think it's his wife's grandmother who was 16 years old and and, uh, ran away from an abusive home, got on a ship, sailed to America, came to Ellis Island, and uh, and made her way across the United States into the great Wild West and launched an incredible family and business, and she's a believer, and... uh, I don't usually read books like this. It's called Honoring Anna. Looking at the cover, I'd walk right past it anywhere. I'm not a lifetime movie mat watcher. Mister, if you're a lifetime movie watcher, you can turn your man card in out there at the desk when you leave. Uh, but this book just, and I read the whole thing. My wife is not a big reader, but she, she tore it up. So he gave us a case to help our ministry. And it is, it's a good story of, of, of immigration done well back in the day. Well, I want to talk to you very briefly this morning, uh, this idea of the reputation conversation. That's how I titled it, and this could be a little rough around the edges. Never preached it before. It's not a microwave message. The scripture just kept jumping out at me, and uh, this phrase, the reputation conversation. I believe that we as Christians uh, advance the gospel when, when we uh, build a reputation that warrants a conversation about our salvation. Let me say that again. We advance the gospel when we build a reputation that warrants a conversation about our salvation. That's as as a person, as a family, as a business. We should have a reputation that warrants a conversation about our salvation. Amen? Outside of these walls. What do people really believe and say about you? Uh, What is the pattern of your life when they watch your life? Are you advancing the gospel with your reputation? There's many, many people, I hope, that will be in heaven because hopefully our reputation caused them to have a conversation. Maybe not with me, maybe with someone else, but ultimately with Jesus. Amen? That somehow, some way, uh, my reputation is pointing people to Christ. Paul said in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. What had happened to Paul? Well, he was in jail in in, in Philippi when he wrote this letter. He'd been locked up. They thought they could lock him up and shut him up, but they didn't do that, did they? As a matter of fact, because they locked him up, the gospel eventually ended up in Rome. And because it ended up in Rome, it reached the rest of the known world and reached us today. So what the devil intended for harm ended up to be for his good. And he looked at it, that whatever happens to me, let it advance the gospel. That's the bottom line. What is God's bottom line? That none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You know, we, we love to... Paul's the same one that wrote the words. It says uh, that all things work together for good. But it doesn't stop there, does it? 
for those that are called according to his, love the Lord and are called according to his purpose. So when my life is lined up with his purpose, even if I go to jail, even if tragedy strikes, all things can work together to do what? God's purpose. Advance the gospel. That's God's bottom line is to reach the world with what Jesus has done for us. I still believe Jesus is coming again, don't you? And it's sooner than ever. And one thing's for certain, if he doesn't come before I go, I'm going, right? And it's like, man, our kids are now, I think, they're getting ready to turn 31, 27, and uh, 20, my wife's not here, 29. And so, wow, that happened really fast. You know, I, just like that. It's like a long work day. You get there and you're like, oh, man, I can't wait till work is over. And before you know it, it is over. And that's how life is. And we're going to stand before the Lord. And I pray to God that we're doing everything in our power to accomplish his purpose. And we do believe it. It says in Revelation 1, behold, he is coming with the clouds and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him. And all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. I'm the Alpha and Omega, says the Lord God Almighty, who is and was and who is to come. Jesus is coming, or I'm going, and I want to be about his business. When Paul writes that word advance, that word advance means, uh, in the Greek, when he originally wrote it, it means like a pioneer or an army that's clearing out the woods to create a pathway for the army or for the other pioneers to make it through. That's what our lives, I hope, I hope that our reputations are doing for people that we work with and people we live around, people that watch our lives. Somehow, we're not creating obstacles. Isaiah, God, God gave Isaiah these words, build up, build up, prepare the way, remove every obstruction from my people's way. Our reputation can either remove or create obstacles toward the gospel. What people are seeing, and this is not what you think about yourself. This is what do people think about you? Because trust me, people are having conversations about me and they're having conversations about you that you're never going to hear. So you have to ask, is my life advancing the gospel? Is my reputation, again, the pattern of your behavior? Not that we don't all slip up and stumble and, and we need to be real about life. We all have struggles. But ultimately, does the pattern of my life, including my failures and how I fail, Does my reputation warrant a conversation about my salvation to tell people what Jesus did for us? Think about what what did Jesus do? What message do we want to communicate? Luke chapter 418, our tour this year is called the Real Freedom Tour. You know, there's people in prison that have a whole lot more freedom than people somewhere in an ivory tower outside because they have freedom in their heart, freedom in Jesus So this is the scripture that we're going to draw from. This is what our lives want to communicate. Luke chapter 4, verse 18, Jesus took the scroll of Isaiah and he unrolled it and he said, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, the the literal poor and the spiritually poor, those that realize that they have a desperate need. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners. That's dismissal or release or pardon or set free from obligation or debt to let people know you don't have to pay for your sins. I'm going to pay for your sins. And recovery of sight to the blind. And this is a huge one in what we do, but I think you're going to bear witness with this. If you study out that word blind in the Greek, it means to lift a fog or to lift smoke, move smoke out of the way. Yes, Jesus healed blind people, but ultimately, can't you say when you were born again, suddenly you began to see things you never saw before? You know what? There's a lot of people that are locked up today because they can't see. How many of you have seen the movie The Truman Show with Jim Carrey? It's an oldie. I watched it the other night, and I've seen it before. 
But he's basically locked into a world that was created for him from a baby, and that's all he's ever known, and he thinks that's all the known world. And then he realizes there's a door to a bigger world outside. You know, I was 19 years old. I'd been kicked out of three high schools in the Hampton Roads area. I'd been arrested a half dozen times. I had an eighth grade education. I had a dad that had gone to prison, an uncle that had gone to prison. My great-great-granddaddy was a Tennessee bootlegger. I had every right to turn out to be a lifelong convict myself. But I had one of them praying mamas and praying grannies. And if you're a praying mama and praying granny, don't you give up. So I was living with my girlfriend in a beat-up little apartment down in the Ocean View section, a rough section of Norfolk. And, uh, man, God began to deal with me. I began to think about Jesus coming back. I knew I'd been raised in church. I tell people I had a drug problem. It's an oldie but goodie, Trevor. My mom drugged me to church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And, And as soon as I was old enough to rebel, you know, I was smoking weed with the other kids out behind the church. I mean, but but... At 19 years old, on November 23rd, 1982, I'd been drunk every single night of the week. I got on my knees, and I said, I give up. I've been carrying you around in my back pocket, Jesus, and I'm going to put you on the throne of my heart. I, don't even, I, I know I'm supposed to go to church. I know I've got to try to lay aside some of these things that got me bound up. My girlfriend walked in. She had no church background whatsoever. She didn't know what was going on. And I, I said, just kneel beside me and pray. She loved me, you know, and she trusted me, and I led her to Jesus. And I was drunk. On November 23rd, 1982, and, and uh, less than 30 days later, we were married, and uh, in de- December 17th, we've been married 36 years. My kids know nothing of the type of background that I had. As a matter of fact, ma- radical as it could be, suddenly I began, God healed, Jesus came to give recovery of sight to the blind. At 19 years old, I thought my life is over. I felt like I was, after all I'd lived from, you know, 11 or 12, I grew up in a home that was wrecked by alcohol and and I, I felt like I was 40 years old at 19, you know, and I was working at a supermarket and I was going to rock church down in Virginia Beach where the hair was long and the music was loud and I fit in. And, uh, and I was throwing oranges on the rack at my job at Farm Fresh Supermarket. And I was just happy, you know, that I knew Jesus and I was doing, I, God gave me deliverance from all the habits, you know, and, and, uh, and suddenly a voice inside me said, Mark, you're only 19. You can be whatever you want to be. And, and, and I immediately walked over to the book rack at the grocery store, and there was a book called Mathematics Made Simple and English Made Simple, if it's possible. And, uh, and I picked those books up, and I began to go to the library by myself and start to read. Now, now, trust me, I dropped out of school in the eighth grade. I kept going, but I was not plugged down. I was going for the girls and the drugs and whatever. And, uh, and I became the first in my family to get a GED. And this is before the Internet and all that stuff. Somehow I figured out how to get financial aid as a first in my family to get a college degree. In five years being clean, never being arrested as an adult, I went to work for the police department that actually put me in jail as a juvenile over and over. Freaked those guys right out. What I'm saying is that, is that that's what Jesus does for us. He lets us see the possibilities. And that's, there's so many people around us, so many people in prison today. You know, if you're, if you're born into a family where your dad went to prison, your mom is a junkie, your uncle has raped you since you were five years old, it's no wonder that when you get 12 years old, you start using drugs and alcohol to try to numb the problem. And by the time you're 16, you got two illegitimate kids. And by the time you're 18, you're getting locked up for stealing to provide for your drug habit, and your kids are being taken away and put up for adoption. It's no wonder we can't throw stones at people like that. They just haven't seen what's possible in Jesus. And so this is the message I pray that our reputation is creating conversations about. He came to set the oppressed free, it says. 
Now, that means those that, there's plenty of people that are bound up by those wounds, and they're trying to numb them. Some of you this morning, maybe, you haven't been freed. You need to know that Jesus gives us a place to cast our cares. There's times when, when David in the Bible, the only place it says he encouraged himself in the Lord. There was no person that could relate or connect to him. There was no body that was going to cure his ill. He had to get between him and the Lord. Aren't you thankful we can do that? He's our ever-present help in time of need. That when we're going through a struggle and our wife doesn't understand us and our kids and our boss or our parents don't understand it, we can fall on our knees and say, I know you here. You're my ever-present help. I can boldly come before the throne of grace in time of need and receive mercy. This is the message that I pray my reputation is creating conversations about even when I'm not around. This message of what Jesus did. He came to proclaim the acceptable year of God's favor, that God is accepting us now as children not pushing us away. John chapter 21, 20, verse 21, you say, well, that's what Jesus came to do. But he said in John 20, 21, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you to advance this good news, this message that we have found. It's, it's really not that complicated, you know. Uh, you say, I'm not a preacher. I, I'm, I'm not a, a missionary. And I say, you absolutely are. Everything about your life is preaching something. Everything about you says something. What is it saying? And listen, as I preach this, I'm preaching this to me as well, going into a new year. Hey, are there some areas that need tweaking? I'm looking forward to this message series Pastor Stan's going to bring. Are there some things that need to be put into alignment so that my reputation, whether, whether I have the conversation or not, because people saw what was going on in my life and how I walked through life, They took a second look at Jesus. Sometimes that's all we need to do is plant a seed, right? Plant a seed. You know, in what we do, uh, you may see us around town. We'll play bars around town. You've got a a musician here, actually, that plays in three area bands, and he's invited us out to come out and sit uh, sit in and and play. And uh, we don't go there to, to preach the gospel. Well, but we do because our, our people know what, they find out what we do, and we're just planting seeds. And we've been doing this for, for about, we left pastoring about eight years, be eight years in, in uh, 2019. And uh, now there's people coming back to me from seven or eight years ago where we did that on Facebook and whatnot. They follow us, and it's just seeds. And, and uh, you know, I can't really win anybody through the Lord. I can't save anybody. I can just plant a seed. I could just water a seed, right? Let God do his work. So I want to talk to you about some, some practical things about this whole reputation conversation. In Titus chapter 2, verse 9, it says this, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything. This was a culture, the Roman Empire that had slavery. To try to please them, not to talk back to them, not to steal for them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. We advance the gospel when we make the gospel attractive. So let me just get down to some very practical things that Paul taught about because sometimes we complicate it. You know, when you think about evangelism and advancing the gospel, we automatically think about, well, I need to give to missions. I need to get involved in church. I need to jump higher. I need to raise both hands, whatever it is. You know, somehow that's, I'm, I'm part of the army of God. You know what? Listen, we advance the gospel when we get to work on time. Uh-oh. That's a reputation issue, isn't it? You know, it tells us that, uh, that we shouldn't be stealing from our employers, Paul said. But if you're five minutes late, 
on a regular basis or you're leaving 15 minutes early when the boss ain't there or you cut back and you're slack on your work when the boss leaves, aren't you stealing to some degree? And isn't that part of your reputation? And if you build a reputation for, oh, he's the one that's always late. That's not cool, man. You know, I'm, I'm talking to me. And I work with people that they, they just think it's no big deal that they're late. It burns me up. How many does it really burn you up when people are late? Raise your hands to all the people that are late for everything. See that? You guys are late for everything. Straighten it out. Get in alignment this new year. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 11. You should mind your own business and work with your hands just as we told you so that your daily life may win the respect of outsiders. We should have a reputation that says not only are we on time, we're early and we work late if we need to. That preaches a whole lot louder than a Bible in your hand to some people. Amen? Because I don't, 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 don't come at me with, with, with what you, you know, what, preaching at me about the Bible if you've got a reputation like that. Let me give you a second one. You ready for a second one? I'm going to move real fast because I don't have a lot of time. We advance the gospel when we build a reputation of honor. 1 Peter 2.17 says, honor everyone. And that word means to fix a value. And that includes the waiter at dinner today. Honor the waiter. If you, if you come to Clover Hill and you go out to restaurants on Hull Street and you tip 5%, Come on, man. Heathens are tipping 20%. You're building a reputation. That little girl, that guy ain't coming to this church. And it happens all the time. My wife was a waitress for a long time. And it was like the church crowd was the worst crowd. We can't have that reputation. We need to honor people. You know, I, you know if you talk smack about your boss, I mean, sure, they may be a jerk, but honor them anyway, and God will honor you. But if you're somebody that's talking smack about your boss and you're complaining, you know what happens? Anybody know who DJ Swearinger is? He was just like the best safety or back, a defensive back the Redskins had, rest their souls, 2018. But he started to run his mouth. I mean, he had the best record of, uh, one of, of their back, one of the best players. But he ran his mouth outside of the locker room about the coaching staff. And he got warned about it three times. He created a pattern. He had a reputation for running his mouth about his overseers, and they didn't care. They cut him loose. He was fired. And he apologized for it. But what kind of reputation? And again, I know it's hard. I've worked for some jerks. Right, Trevor? You better watch out. When we're talking bad about people, we create a reputation. And they might not come to you, but they're listening to you. They're listening to you and what you're saying. And they're watching, and we're preaching through these things a lot louder than just inviting somebody to church or putting on a Christian T-shirt or bumper sticker or something up in our cubicle. They're watching our lives. We advance the gospel when we excel at our craft, whatever that is. The Bible tells us that whatever you do, in 2 Corinthians 3.23, I taught my kids this from infancy. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord. He's the one that's going to reward us ultimately. He's the one that, that we're laboring for, bringing glory to, because we excel at our craft. Listen, when, I, when I'm looking for a dentist... I really don't care if you're a Christian dentist. It's great, but you better be a good dentist if you're sticking a needle in my mouth. You know what I'm saying? So great, you're a Christian. You know, I used to have a dentist. You walk into his office, and there was contemporary Christian music playing, and I would lay there. He knew I was a youth pastor at the time, and he would uh, talk about what he was doing with his church and missions trips, and and, uh, turned out he was a terrible dentist. He did some messed up, more messed up stuff to my wife. You know, and so 
are you excelling at your, at your craft? Are you set? There's so many books out there today and resources about goal setting and pursuing and getting better at what we do, being known for something. You know, I'm not looking for a Christian real estate agent when I go to buy a house. I'm looking for a good real estate agent, and if it happens to be a Christian, I've known Christian real estate agents that rip people off worse than heathen. What kind of reputation? That does not advance the gospel. I, I turned 55 in August, so that means I have certain routine medical procedures that I need to be about. I'm not looking for a Christian doctor. I'm looking for one that knows how to handle that apparatus. If you happen to be a Christian, that's wonderful. We need to excel at our craft. That actually advances the gospel. When we play music around town, we try to, I work really hard at my craft. I mean, it's what I, I feel like I do fairly well is I play guitar, and I want to be good at it, and I want to get better at it, and I want to be known because if these guys ask me out to sit, you know, sit in and play with them or whatever, they're not looking for a Christian guitar player. They're looking for a good guitar player, you know? Show up, be on time, and, and, and have a reputation for somebody that's, that's good at what they do and working to be better at what they do. You know, I, I tell you, talking about excelling at craft, I brought um, three guys, uh, four, four guys in here for the Wild Game Supper. I don't know how many of you were here. None of, only one of them goes to church here. The other three don't go to church here. Matter of fact, one of them told me he hadn't been in church in 30 years, and that event was awesome. He got to meet Pastor Stan and everything. I hired him. I brought him out. Because you know what? I wasn't looking for Christian musicians to back me up. I was looking for good musicians to back me up. And they were good, and I knew that it'd be a win-win. And do you know what? This church... I'm telling you what, Chase and, and Andrew blew them away with how excellent they did what they did. Sound and video and all that stuff. They don't experience it. You, know, you really don't have to try that hard to shine at your workplace. Be on time. Don't be somebody that's always running your mouth and being negative about your, your boss or what, about the circumstances. Be somebody that's good at what you do, excellent at what you do. Man, that'll preach. That'll preach. Proverbs 12, 24 says, Diligent hands will rule, but laziness ends in forced labor. Diligent hands. Proverbs twenty two twenty nine. Do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. He will not stand before obscure men. We advance the gospel when we excel at our craft. And our reputation should be doing what? Warranting conversations about our salvation. The people are watching the pattern of our lives, and it's causing them to wonder what is it about that person? I never hear a negative word come out of their mouth. What is it about that person? They're, they're willing to do whatever it takes to make the, you know, things click around here. Listen, we advance the gospel. We live lives of integrity. Are you somebody that you, when you say you're going to be somewhere, you're there? Now, I know we all have we, we, things happen and whatnot, but the pattern of your life. Are you somebody that calls people back when you said you're going to call them back or text them back? Are you somebody that, that lives a life of integrity? I can tell you this, that a Christian business that has integrity will advance the gospel because it will become known as a business with integrity, and then people will see. What, what's behind this business? There's something bigger behind it, motivating it. You know, in Life on the Verge, if you see us last year, by the God's grace and the help of wonderful people like Clover Hill, we, we said we're going to go here, 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 and here, you know, having nowhere near the budget to do it, not knowing exactly. We did more than what we said we were going to do. And sometimes things happen, I understand. I mean, how many of you follow us? You know my son, because of this Christian, uh, uh, because of our prison ministry, he was involved in it, he ended up... Uh, uh, getting signed to Atlantic Records. It's a long, long story. But this past year, at 55 years old, 54 when it started, 
this old man got to play the Bonnaroo Music Festival, Lollapalooza, Forecastle Festival, all pretty incredible. Those were just things weren't even on our calendar. I'm just saying be a person of integrity. Listen, we advance the gospel when we model love and compassion for the least of these. I'm so thankful that this is a least of these church. I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. And I've known your pastor for 25 plus years and and Angie, and they are exactly the same least of these people they were when I met them. Missions, missions, missions outside the walls of this church. And, And not only talking about it, but modeling it. My Lord, they almost had their family paid off. Their kids are raised up. And then suddenly they get into foster care and they even adopt. How crazy is that? That's just the love of Jesus. That's a reputation issue. That guy's got a reputation for the least of these. Have a least of these reputation. The least of these. Matthew chapter 25. That's the business we should be known to be about. You know, when I walk into a club or a bar or someplace, I have guys now, I mean, utter heathens that will see me and say, man, I thought you'd be in prison right now. I don't have to say a word. I don't have to bring my Bible in or nothing. They're watching. They're watching. Paul was a tent maker. That's kind of like a construction worker. That's what he did. You know what I'm going to bet about Paul, the Apostle Paul? I'm going to bet he was on time for work. I'm going to bet he didn't run his mouth about his boss and complain about everything. I'm going to bet he was a guy of integrity. I bet he's a guy that excelled at his craft. And I bet his reputation warranted conversations about his salvation. Amen. This last one, and I'll close. We advance the gospel when we build a reputation that warrants a conversation about our salvation when we suffer well. When we suffer well. We're going to suffer. Everybody here is probably to some level, but we're going to, there's going to be things. We can't stop it. This life is like a vapor waiting to pass. We're all checking out. There's people here that got negative doctor's reports. Their marriage broke up. Wonderful family lost someone this week. Going to be talking about on this platform this afternoon. We can't suffer well without the power of the Holy Spirit. But people watch how we suffer and when we go through trials. You know, uh, I've got a friend down in Norfolk. He's a pastor. He was a police officer with me, and he retired a few years ago, and he started a church. I think we've got a picture of a family up here. And uh, is it up there somewhere? Oh, there you go. That's not my friend. That's his son, Seth Amos. And uh, Seth, 30-year-old police officer, led worship at their church. Suddenly, he got a little abscess from his gun belt, his police gun belt. Went to the hospital. They gave him some antibiotics. Started having trouble breathing. Got worse and worse. Multiple trips to the hospital. He ended up being admitted into Lee Memorial Hospital down in Norfolk. And uh, it just got worse and worse. His kidneys started shutting down. They sent him to North, uh, Northern Virginia. The amazing thing is, is that all of this, this wasn't like somebody getting shot in the line of duty. This is just a guy having a, an issue, an infection, and all this stuff going on. It was getting on every news channel. They were covering it because he, he was a police officer going through this trial. And then the, the Norfolk Police Department, the state police, actually led a convoy of an ambulance that took him to Northern Virginia at high speed to get him there. And uh, it even got covered at one point on the national news. Who knows why? God wanted people to see these people suffering well. Even though they were going through a trial, they were giving glory to Jesus. And, and I would love to say, this is only th- three months old. I would love to say that Seth came through it and he's leading worship at his church this morning. But he didn't. His organs just kept shutting down and the doctors are still puzzled. 
But this, and he went to be with the Lord. I went to the funeral. A thousand people were there at least. Police departments. And this is not a line of duty death, which is always a big funeral. This is just an officer that died from a, from a, you know, a cause like that. But all of them showed up. It was a two and a half hour funeral. Tears were everywhere and the gospel was being advanced. It was on the news just last week in Richmond that firefighters and, and neighbors had decorated the house for Christmas down in Norfolk. And, you know, the pastor was real and raw, my friend. He got up the next Sunday and he said, you know, he told his people, he said, I don't care if a million people come to Jesus because of what happened to my son. I'd trade those million people for my son. But he went on to preach a powerful message because he couldn't change that. And so we advance the gospel when we, when we suffer well, when we go through trials. There's people here, you know, Pastor Stan gets up and preaches every week, and he knows what people are going through. Let me just encourage you, if you're suffering this morning, lean on the power of the Holy Spirit. He's going to carry you through it in your weakness. He's going to be strong. And people are going to watch how you're walking through that trial, and it's going to advance the gospel. God's bottom line. People are going to want to know, why didn't you turn to drugs and alcohol? Or maybe you did turn to drugs and alcohol in the face of it, but you, you got, you're real and you're raw and you got back up and you confessed and you're, you're fighting. People are watching that. They're watching that. Listen, my life, our lives, my wife and I, we're, we're sold out to this idea that, man, if you want your business to take off, if you want your personal life to take off, Live for a cause greater than the almighty dollar or fame. Live for the advancement of the gospel. Get on God's purpose, and all things will work together for good. Amen? Well, my friend Seth, I encourage you, or Chris, Chris Amos, A-M-O-S. He's on Facebook. He's one of my friends, and he writes a regular devotional, and he's reaching cops all over the country. And let me tell you, he's not a megachurch pastor. His church has about 50 people, but he is making a huge impact. I encourage you to follow him. Because he's going through, he's suffering well in front of a national audience right now and advancing the gospel. But he always finishes uh, his, his little things he puts on Facebook, his little devotionals. He says, God's will, God's way, I'll see you at the finish line. Friend, there's a finish line coming. There's a, this life will be gone before we know it. It's, I'm 55 years old. I still feel and look like I'm 25, don't I? Everybody said, amen. Listen, there's things that you will not see unless you let Jesus take the blinders off for your life. If you're somebody that's here this morning and you're not ready for the finish line, you haven't made Jesus Lord of your life, I just invite you, receive him. Give your whole life to him. Confess him as your Lord. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes just for a second. Lord, you know who showed up this morning. And there are those that that need to put you on the throne of their heart to make you first in their life. I pray you deal with their hearts right now, God, that you draw those that you intended that this would be the day. Friend, you don't come to God when you want to. You come when he calls you. And if he's calling you this morning, if he's calling you back because you've been way outside the lines and he's saying, I need to be Lord of your life for all things to work together for good. Friend, he will... Use a high school dropout to reach the masses. He uses losers, those that don't have it all together. He makes new creations and uses them for his purpose to advance the good news of what 
Jesus did. Father, we thank you again for your presence in this place. And we pray, God, that you just draw those that are your own. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.